Welcome to All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light driving scientific innovation in the 21st century. I'm Joel Williams, Associate Editor at Photonics Media. Join us as we explore the latest trends in optics, lasers, microscopy, and spectroscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape, brought to you by Photonics Media. Scientists at the National Ignition Facility in California knew immediately that December 5, 2022 would assume its place in the annals of scientific history. By the time the U.S. Department of Energy confirmed that they had achieved fusion ignition, celebrations within the community were entering their second week. Around the world, captivated minds did their best to comprehend how a system of 192 lasers firing at a peppercorn-sized target could break down a barrier to clean energy that stood for close to 100 years. Today on All Things Photonics, we're joined by Jean-Michel de Nicola, Chief Engineer for Laser Systems at the National Ignition Facility. De Nicola's role in scientific history is one of indisputable importance to a foundational moment in science. The intricacies involved in getting an input of 2.05 megajoules to release 3.15 megajoules has represented a grand challenge for multiple generations of laser physics team leads. De Nicola is the barrier breaker. As De Nicola tells us, December's result has triggered more than ignition. It has led media outlets beyond the normal scope of science journalism coverage to a fascination with his work and its impact on the future of energy systems. It has led to an influx of job applications at the National Ignition Facility, as well as heightened awareness on fusion funding, startup companies, and fusion methods. Most of all, the fusion breakthrough has charted a new course for scientific possibility, with future progress dominating the forecast. News editor Jake Saltzman with the National Ignition Facility's Jean-Michel de Nicola is up next. So it's been now here about 11 weeks or, or three months since Lawrence Livermore National Labs announced the breakthrough results that will build our conversation around here. Um, and that's a, a huge testament to the work that you and your team um, were able to put together and put in. But three months in the grand scheme of things, you know, this was a pursuit that spanned decades, not all that long. But I do want to ask you about that very interesting time period. What's it been like since this result was recorded or reported rather in December? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, we received lots of publicity and congratulations from all over the world after this announcement. We also received a significant number of increase in our applicants for job openings, which is great news for us. Having more people being excited about ignition and uh, inertial fusion energy is a treat. Uh, our team members have also happily answered many interview requests which is always interesting and gives a different perspective about the way that we will work and how it's perceived. We have received renewed support from our sponsor. Um, our sustainment program is getting more traction and funding. We have an amazing laser facility. We'll go in more detail later on, but I uh, need to uh, point out that it's a 20 plus year old for the conventional side of the facility. So we're due for some maintenance. Along the same line, I think overall we received uh, you know, more interest about our plans to push that envelope even further in terms of the National Ignition Facility, but also engaging with private sector. And last but not least, increasing the awareness of the public for energy and ignition has never been higher, which is great for all of us. 
What's so fascinating about this, and, and I by no means consider myself an insider, but we've talked to, you know, on the podcast members of the LaserNet US Consortium and, and, you know, people who work in or around big light sources. And it was no secret that your group and others were really on the cusp. There were there was it was within reach, this ability to return a net gain. And now you've done it. Is it interesting or surprising at all to see the likes of Vice and these outlets that really don't typically cover even in mm-hmm. some cases, science, with such a, a high level of interest in your work? Well, um, yes, I mean, you're right. Uh, the, the quest for fusion using laser has not been secretive pursuit at all. It has been a grand challenge since the invention of the laser, actually. And, and we have done that at uh, Lawrence Livermore National Lab for two reasons. As a national lab with the U.S. Department of Energy and Nuclear Security Administration, where you know reaching ignition is very relevant for deterrence, but also since the early days, the, the lab has the idea that um, we want to pursue fusion for peaceful energy productions that could supplement existing production methods. So I, I believe that with the uh, December 5th experiment, which, by the way, created about three megajoule of uh, yield through fusion reaction with two megajoule of energy, laser energy deposited in the target. However, we have always been clear that we're not yet at what we would call a net gain because the electrical supply that we drew from the grid to power the laser is at about three to 400 megajoules. So the, the goal of NIF was never to put energy back on the grid and produce energy. It's a scientific breakthrough, scientific break-even, have a larger um, than one gain for the target. To get back to your question, I truly believe that the excitement comes from two things. First of all, releasing more energy than the laser energy we use to trigger the reaction is something like is magical, mysterious, awesome. It really triggers, you know, excitement from the public, even if you don't know the science behind it. That's a big factor. And then second, I believe that we are living in a world in in transition and transformation with a lot of anxiety being generated by climate, carbon emissions, Uh, different events around the world, creating some energy crisis, uh, scarcity of resources, price increase, natural resources uh, on gas and and others. So in this context, I believe it's a natural reaction from the public to be enthusiastic whenever there are some good news and they're probably too rare, um, you know, in the news lines. De Nicola's use of the words magical, mysterious, and awesome should begin to take you back to the buzz that dominated mid-December 2022. Those are the words that will always characterize NIF's breakthrough, even years from now, when hopefully we have come to see fusion in a light far more commercially viable than we do in 2023. Like De Nicola says, the goal of NIF was never to put energy back on the grid. The fact alone speaks to the progress still to come in the laser fusion space. He chooses the phrase scientific break-even to qualify December's result. One of the things also that was, I think, very well done by the Department of Energy in sharing the December result was they brought in members of the team who work in, in different facets, intertwined, obviously, but different facets. You're really on the, on the laser side. Can you take us inside the, the room where, where these conversations take place? Just to be a fly on the wall would be fascinating um, because the conversation obviously spans laser technology. It spans um, environmental considerations. What's it like to be part of that working group? 
Well, to be part of this working group was really, uh, you know, amazing. Uh, it was like a surreal, out-of-the-body experience. Uh, if you are really specifically referring to the uh, the briefing that we gave yes. on the December the 13th, uh, it's typically the type of briefing you watch on TV. So being here, you know, representing the entire team of thousands of people, literally, uh, for the, the expert in the panel, where six of us, was truly amazing and humbling moment. And we were all aware of this uh, historic, uh, you know, announcements that that we were delivering uh, to the public. So that was really uh, joyful, exciting, a little bit stressful as well, as you could imagine. Absolutely. And this is just a podcast. This is an audio medium. I can only imagine uh, when you add the cameras into the equation. And I'm glad you mentioned just now the the fact that this team, when we talk about the notion of team, it's really big. There, there are a lot of contributors who are doing very involved and meaningful work. Um, and I, I, the comparison I'll make is if you watch a World Cup match uh, or any you know high-level sporting event, at the end of the finals, the winning team, you see the athletic support staff, the trainers, everybody involved is celebrating. And you know, I'm curious if that was the case here because you have so many highly skilled workers in optics and components who, you know, without their support and their efforts, this isn't possible. For some of those people who weren't in front of the cameras, what does this result mean? Well, it was literally for some of them the accomplishment of all their professional life. You know, no, no short of that. Uh, there were celebration at multiple places, especially the uh, in what we call the control room, which is uh, inspired from NASA. This is where uh, you know all the experiments are conducting and taking place. There was a huge celebration and with a broadcast live of the uh, December 13 announcements. Uh, where people could gather, congratulate themselves, and, and sort of truly enjoy this uh, historical moment. And this is obviously much easier to do on a uh, via a visual platform, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Take us inside the, the NIF facility, if you can, because it is a magical place, and it's in the news now certainly more than ever. Um, you have a control room, you have these massive light sources, and a whole lot more. What's it like inside, if you could walk us through? Sure. I, actually, I think it's a very interesting exercise. That's probably the, you know, the, the the most interesting exercise, you know, without the visuals. Just trying to take you by the hand and drive you through this journey and through this entire, you know, amazing facility in in like a two minutes or so. First, if you start from a bird's eye view, you're imagining flying over our facility in Livermore, California. This is the size of uh, three football fields. Uh, it's quite amazing. The, the building footprint in metric is about 120 meters by about two, 220 meters or so. Just to give people that are not familiar with large buildings, this is along the longest dimension. It's comparable to one of the A, edge of the Great Pyramid of Giza. It's, it's quite amazing. We're doing big science with the highest precision and accuracy that you can get in small uh, experimental scale. From the side of the building, you're pushing glass door and entering the lobby where we have different types of exhibits and explaining how the laser works with different laser components. And quite amazing that after going through another series of, uh, of doors, you can literally enter one of the laser bays. We have two laser bays. Those laser bays are literally like a cathedral, a temple, a pyramid of concrete, steel, and glass. Each laser bay is about 120 meter in length, ceiling of three story high, so it's quite amazing volume that you are entering. It contains laser glass, 
amplifiers, lenses, mirrors for 192 beam, and each beam is not your typical laser pointer beam. It, it's a, a beam that has a size of 40 by 40 centimeter in aperture. So that's for the laser. Now, using a series of elevators and stairs, you can enter uh, you know, another area where the experiment is actually taking place. Going through heavy uh, concrete shield doors that are closed during you know, thermal nuclear experiments, you're entering what we call the laser, the target bay. It's a very vast eight-floor area where all the beam converge on a spherical chamber. Uh, the chamber by itself is about 10 meter in diameter, made of aluminum with concrete, um, you know, around it. And uh, that's where the reaction takes place after we insert a carefully crafted um, target at its center. We also have around the chamber incredible set of diagnostics that are used to understand the experiment in every aspect, neutron yield measurements, spectrometers, imagers to understand how matter is uh, and the target is compressed, X-ray emission and implosion of the core. So it's, uh, it's quite an amazing scale. And, um, you know, even through videos, it's kind of hard to um, have a good rendition of what you feel when you are inside this building. So um, if you are uh, in California, you can reach out to our, um, you know, public affairs and, and get a tour schedule. We'll be glad to have you in. In fact, senior members of our editorial team did reach out and get a tour. And one of the ways in which they describe this facility, in addition to magical and sort of you know, this majestic um, light source facility was that it was a photon factory. This is a unique environment, not just now that you've achieved this um, tremendous result, but it's really, I don't know if specialized is the right word, but my question is, what's it been like for new members to join this team and adopt this mindset that ultimately gets you this type of a result? Well, I joined back in the time frame of 2008, 2009, and uh, really for me, uh, the, the goal was to reach, you know, to, to be joining this team, which has been known since the 60s, to be really uh, extremely rich and fertile ground for inertial confinement fusion. It's like the pinnacle. Uh, you are using the, uh, the analogy with the World Cup. It's really like you are playing with the World Cup champions, uh, so to speak. Uh, so that's the first more uh, sort of uh, emotional aspect, I would say. Now, your point about photon factory large scale. Yes, this is big science. So there is definitely a paradigm shift. You are no longer by yourself in a lab in a small scale controlling your experiment. You need to adopt methodology, rigor, procedure that would allow you as a team to be successful. Um, it, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift from this point of view, not to say that there is no creativity, no, um, you know, spontaneous, uh, you know, discovery and results that are accomplished. But when it goes to performing this type of experiment, you know, hundreds of people are involved in this experiment. It's uh, comparable to LHC or other large scale facility. And there, there can't be any uh, improvisation on the fly about what you do. So it, it's a definitely a learning process. Uh, and that's for the better. And, uh, you know, the results uh, speaks for themselves. As a member of a thousand plus member NIF team, Nicholas' charge is to oversee the operation of the all-important laser system. 
These refinements span the components and materials that enable the laser to perform, to added precision in the area of beam delivery. The nature of the ignition experiment itself will also influence the optimization of the laser. The laser system that you're working with, or systems that you get to work with, you know, in so many ways have more in common with the sun and the industrial fiber laser um, that we often write about here um, at Photonic Spectra. But, but nonetheless, right, this is, you are a laser scientist at your core. My question is on the laser side, is there anything that's happened in that technology area that um, allowed this result? I mean, has anything happened, just strictly speaking, in terms of laser technology um, that guided you in the last five or ten years towards this current state of fusion? Well, I wouldn't say that's one thing. You know, that's the uh, that's the beauty and also the difficulty of that game, that you need not only from a, a laser point of view, a lot of different improvements. And those improvements uh, have been sort of uh, incremental. There is not one flipping of the switch uh, breakthrough. We could go on and, and cite a few of them since the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and more recently. I would say that to get back to your point more recently, to be allowed to safely and in a sustainable manner increase the energy uh, of the laser throughput and finally allowing uh, ignition fusion, there, are, there has been a few things. First of all, the uh, energy and power is important, but it is not enough. So we have been working very aggressively to have more precise delivery. Brute force is not enough. So from the fiber optics point of view, over the last three years, we completely refurbished our master oscillator room, which was 20 year old, and we benefited from all the all the advances in, in fiber optics technology. That's where the two sort of meet. Also, from an optical uh, point of view, optical components point of view, those components are exposed to tremendous amount of uh, light and fluence, and it has been a continued uh, improvement from material fabrication, fabrication processes to harden them and make them more robust and be able to drive the energy higher and also um, understand the different uh, debris that are emitted from the target and how we could mitigate those debris to uh, perform those experiments at higher energy in a sustainable way. So that's from the laser point of view, not to say that we're shaping the beams in every aspect we can, we're shaping the, the time aspects of the beam because we need to have very precise delivery in terms of the pole shape, the power as a function of time. We're also shaping the beam through um, optically addressable light valve to flatten the beam in space as much as possible. We already said there are about you know, 40 by 40 centimeter in size, but they need to be very flat because we don't want to have any hot spot that could potentially lower the lifetime of the optics. And we're shaping them also spectrally. So that's the uh, laser side of the advances over the last, I would say five or so years. And then there'll be many others I'm, I'm not expert of, but from a target, uh, fabrication point of view, uh, target diagnostics, as well as the, the way to design the experiment so we achieve um, the maximum compression and finally trigger uh, the ignition reactions. This might be human nature, I don't know entirely, just to whenever there is great news to put it in perspective. In December, the news of a of a net gain was shared almost universally with this caveat that yeah, we're you know we we this is a great result, but there's still a great deal of work to come. 
you know, before we're in a position for fusion to contribute to the the energy problems that we face as a society already face as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your take on that perspective? Because you can't disprove it, but you can probably um, position it in such a way um, to not distill or to not detract from the work that's been um, performed already. Right, right. So for, first, I mean, during the um, the official announcement on December the 13th, the entire team made it clear, you know, as scientists, it is our duty to be clear with the public and not build false uh, expectations, especially in a time that some uh, are doubting science. Uh, we truly compare what we accomplish with the Bright's, uh, you know, brothers moment as they took their first control flight uh, in an airplane. Keep in mind, it took them about 11 years to uh, complete the first commercial flight after this first demonstration was completed. So it's uh, it's impossible to truly forecast when the power plant, if when a power plant based on fusion magnetic or laser driven would be put on the grid. Uh, it would especially depend on the amount of uh, private and public investment made to that effect. But to me, it's not unreasonable to imagine that we would see first prototypes in 10, 20 years from now if the ecosystem of funding between public and, and private align. So I'm a, I'm a strong advocate, as you can imagine, for fusion. I wouldn't like us to get complacent and defer our net zero emission goals efforts with renewable conventional nuclear power plants etc etc and and, uh, just simply wait for fusion at the same time now the time is is ripe so we need to prepare for the next moves that are really enabling for humankind with uh, fusion reactions and uh, producing electricity through this outstanding peaceful and, and sustainable source of generating electricity Jean-Michel de Nicola's 2023 Photonics West keynote explored recent laser performance improvements at NIF in the context of December's results. For reference, NIF contains a 192-beam, 4.2-megajoule neodymium glass laser that's frequency converted to 351 nanometer light, or 3 watts. The laser has undergone considerable tweaks, leading to considerable improvements over the course of its lifetime. Now, through laser-only experiments, the laser team at NIF is hard at work testing for improvements that aim to produce a power increase from the December 5th experiment in the area of 8%. All the while, the team is entering its final phase of fiber optics technology upgrades, aimed at system modernization. Your your keynote session at Photonics West was understandably um, quite popular and quite successful, I think, just in terms of topic and timeliness. Taking the full operation out of consideration for a moment, would you walk us through the next steps and the next goals for the laser system specifically um, as we move forward here? Sure. Uh, we're very busy now, as you can imagine. We're conducting um, laser-only experiments, meaning that we're not using targets on a small number of uh, NIF beamlines uh, to test our recipe in terms of optics improvement, in terms of uh, you know beam flattening and so forth to be able to deliver 2.2 megajoule full NIF equivalent which would be a eight percent increase from the december 5th experiment and also a 22 percent increase compared to the initial NIF requirements um so and for that we'll be you know with that we will be providing more margin to ignition 
at the same time, we are also working again to the next step, enhancing the stability of the pole shape and the accuracy of the pole shape delivery by finishing up our last phase of modernization of uh, fiber optics technology, electro-optic modulator, arbitrary waveform generator to uh, stabilize, get even a better uh, delivery to the uh, to the target. The team, uh, and I'll, I'll put you into that, that, that mix here, has already articulated plans to design experiments and um, in field shots with additional energy from the laser this summer. And the aim there would be to increase the margins for ignition and sort of chart a course for, for target gains. Uh, just in the context of the overall pursuit, to move this onto the grid, can you speak to the significance of what the next phase of overall work means now that we've obtained this um, you know, long-coveted result? Right. Well, I think that, like any scientific approach, we'll be reproducing this experiment. We did that following the August uh, 2021 experiment, understand variability, sensitivity to initial conditions for the laser and the target. Uh, compared to uh, August 8, back in December, that was, again, 8% more energy. In the summer, we would be delivering yet another 8%. And we want to explore two axes. One axis is to achieve more robustness high and then higher target gains. We can do that through higher energy output, uh, improved target fabrication, or even more optimized uh, designs. Those two steps are important to better understand ignition fusion conditions and ultimately how we can get high yields with the laser energy as low as possible um, especially with the focus for energy production and efficiency. Steady and timely funding streams are, are obviously critical to the ability to move forward with, with any scientific pursuit. Um, and I think with heightened um, interest and heightened focus, at least the possibility for added funding or new funding streams um, rises to the fore. What aspects of this quest towards um, inertial fusion energy require the greatest amount of funding? So I know we've talked about the, the age of the infrastructure and some improvements that could be made there, but we really now have a full ecosystem. Well, I think it's most needed, uh, speaking for my own field, laser driver technology needs to be improved. What we are doing, you know, a few times, uh, you know, a month would need for an efficient energy production to be performed multiple times a second. Uh, there were initial draft of um, inertial fusion energy power plants that would work with a repetition rate of 10 hertz, so 10 times a second. So to do that, NIF was never built to, to do that. It's a flash lamp pumped. We would need to go to much higher repetition rates. Uh, diode pumping, if we stay in the solid state approach, is probably the way to go. So that will need engineering, cost reductions, laser physics, architecture, design, and also from a target fabrication, performance and cost. With 10 hertz, if you want to run for an entire day, you're approaching 1 million of targets that you would need to shoot per day. And again, from an economics point of view, you want to make sure that those targets are as cheap as possible to lower the price of the electricity production. Then, last but not least, obviously, the blanket material, neutron flux resistance, which is synergistic with magnetic fusion, will need sort of an influx of brains and, and funding as well to overcome numerous issues of, uh, you know, brittle and damage resistance of those materials. 
Obviously, the physics will need to be explored further, as we described. We are now pushing the energy of the laser, but ultimately you would like to achieve very high yield with as low as possible energy from the laser. So it's going to take some extra steps and smarts. And then the entire plan would need to be planned, would need to be designed and optimized for economic viability. Have these blueprints been laid or, or is this sort of just a, a fantastical um, um, desire? Are there plans for an upgrade, whether it stemmed from this latest result or, or otherwise? The, there are plans and, uh, you know, very real, you know, projects started from a national ignition facility point of view. But again, the goal of the national ignition facility never was and never will be to put energy on the grid. About energy productions, there are multiple articles and, and papers and very detailed concepts that have been put together using different sources, different drivers. And I think now we are at a time where, you know, all those ideas that are on the table will need to be investigated further and see which one have the most value to be pursued from a, um, you know, private and also government uh, standpoint. The startup environment in the fusion space, now this is not strictly laser fusion, but you do have Marvel Fusion and X-Fusion and now Longview Fusion. There are others. What type of eye do you keep on their pursuits and their activity? Because it is, as I mentioned, this ecosystem, it is becoming sort of a family now. Yeah, so absolutely. And um, we definitely have assets and, and we can bring things at the table and we started engaging with some of the names you mentioned at a low level, but we expect that this engagement would rapidly increase uh, with more collaborations and partnerships agreements uh, fully in place. Uh, I truly believe it is synergistic because a uh, private sector can sort of bring things at the table that lab, national labs can't and vice versa. So uh, making that an ecosystem on, on some of the models that you mentioned is really, um, you know, critical to make it happen. I had to guess the, the December 6th result has um, created a few more, um, we'll say, fusion fans than there were before. Certainly people who are thinking and considering fusion. And I think that our audience here on the podcast, just given the nature of what we do, doesn't really need much convincing on the potential or the science behind um, laser fusion. But nothing is ever totally universal. So I'm curious if you've had to develop a pitch to those who, one, may lack the knowledge to comprehend the significance of this result, uh, or, or maybe um, more pertinently, who, who just don't believe that this experimental result carries much weight until we see something more commercial. Right, right. Again, I mean, the December 5th was an incredible scientific breakthrough. It is up to us as a nation and also a citizen of the world to do the right thing about, you know, about it. Uh, we are living times of changes with climate, carbon dioxide emission, different events around the world, creating some energy crisis. We can act now using well-established and known methods to combat those effects, but at the same time, prepare a future that is bright. Either magnetic or laser fusion have incredible potential to power our societies in the future in a peaceful and sustainable manner in a virtually limitless way without scarcity issues. So if that's not a pitch, if people are not convinced, I honestly don't know what to do. That concludes this week's episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to our news editor, Jake Saltzman, as well as to this week's sponsors. 
Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pitch us ideas, and let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at allthings@photonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as on our website, photonics.com. <laughs>